0: Stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovic, thinking about a three, there it is, yes! See it again. No double team help, and it takes it right to the rack. to and beat is back it is a thursday evening uh, july my god dog days of july it is hot as hell outside i can't go anywhere without sweating and it's, it's sticky it's miserable uh, the baseball team just got hit, got two hit by uh, by, by uh, corbin burns so that was you know it's it's been a rough couple days to say the least um, of course the sixers do not do not do not inspire much confidence that the end of misery is near for this fan base. Um, I wanted to bring on a great guest, the one and only. You can see him roasting everybody on Twitter who he feels is stupid. He does – the, and, of course, he's saying the things that I wish I could say without getting yelled at. Uh, <laughs> Mark Henry Jr., how are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing good. It, yeah, it's. it seems like I've just – I think for a little bit there, I cooled off on Twitter, on you know, not getting after reply guys and not getting in the mud, as Sean Brace would would call it. But I feel like ever since the ever since the Sixers season, the whole season, I've just been like, you know what, I'm 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 gonna be like my boy, Paul Reed. I'll be in the mud.
0: <laughs> well, I've been in the camp of there's nothing that they can do this off season really to cast much excitement. Like they've all the equity they built by. You know, saying like, "Hey, look how good we are in the regular season." They completely shattered that by ending in the exact whimper manner that they've always ended in in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I I always knew there would be there would be no such excitement in the offseason or hope. But I did not think it would be like this, where the mere mention of the Sixers is a cause for chaos and toxicity. Um, Mark, we have spoken a little bit before how we were going to do this. You pick a topic. We have five topics. We shall not reveal the topics to the audience beforehand, but you pick one of the five that we have touched on.
1: I, I think we've got to start with Joel. Um, I, I think it's kind of the, I, I guess it was the thing that I think made the biggest, the biggest impact when it happened. Um, and I think we're aligned on it. Um, first of all, I, don't really think he was trolling in the moment like I think it was kind of just something he said and I think he probably even right away knew like oh, I probably shouldn't have said that like and in my opinion it doesn't really matter to me like I-, I think it was like a little bit of a slip but I don't think it's like oh he wants out this moment I think it was just kind of something he'd probably say privately and realize that he was public and I I I don't think that the comments are all that concerning. I understand the reason for the for the freakout. I guess um, I understand the reason that in the de- in the dog days of July, like you said, that's going to become even four times bigger than, than it would have become if it was just something that he said at a December press conference after a game. Like I think it's bigger news right now because there is no basketball being played. Like I, I think it's you know it's that cycle of the sports calendar where people are looking for something to talk about. Um, now, where I think the conversation carries to, and obviously you'll give your opinion on the actual quote on his backtracking of the quote on. Yeah, just so
0: everyone knows, the quote that we're referring to
1: uh, yeah.
0: is it was 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 Joel's talking to Maverick Carter at a a film at the Un- uninterrupted film festival late last week. The quote was not really published or brought to public life until. Like I guess Sunday, or late Sunday or early Monday morning, because it was a thing when I woke up on Monday. But I did not know it was a thing Sunday night I went to bed. Uh, I usually track, check Twitter before I go to bed. Um, the, Joel essentially is asked about you know like, what what is next for him and the, his vision, and beyond saying you know getting married and you know all, all the personal life things, he says, "I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes." I don't know where that's going to be whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. I want to see what that feels like to win that first one, and then you can think about the next one. It's not easy. takes more than one, two, or three guys. Got to have good people around you and myself every single day. I work hard to be at that level, so I can push us to make it happen every single day. That's working toward the goal. So my mindset has always been MVP is just an added bonus. Uh, so first of all, <laughs> let me just, just – let me cast – some doubt about one thing there. MVP was not just an added bonus. That was very clearly a primary effort towards the end of last season that, if you ask me, kind of fumbled his his focus in the, in the second round of the playoffs once he won the MVP. So it, 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 that, that's just my thing. It's not just an added bonus. I think it's a very gratuitous way that he is portraying it and probably a little dishonest. But the big thing that stands out there, of course – For the first time, Joel says, anywhere else, implying that Philadelphia might not be that place. I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. Uh, Twitter was set ablaze by that. And I think you and I had a similar reaction to not only the response to it and the way that it was, you know, made headlines, but also the way that people responded to Joel. And I will say this first and foremost, like, I totally 100% agree with you. It was not a troll. Joel was trying to, if you, my opinion is he was trying to put out a fire by saying he was trolling with that comment because he didn't realize it was like four days late and he kind of said that and you're like, whoa, 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 what's happening? And then he was trying to do damage control and he, so he went with, I was trolling, but I think there was definitely a. An interpretation that he didn't realize he was putting out there was saying he was trolling. So, as one fire comes to an end, another fire starts. And that is fans saying, Well, why are you trolling us? Like, we support you and you shit the bed in the playoffs every year. And so, you and I had a back and forth about this privately where people were like, You know, he's, he's a loser and imagine being this guy and you know, loser, loser, loser. Mark. I think he's the best thing that this franchise has had in 40 years. <laughs> and it, typically it does not make sense or it, it, it isn't a great thing to do, in my eyes, to call the thing that's been the best the franchise has had in 40 years a loser.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the reactions about Embiid ever since the fourth quarter of Game 6 ha- have been insane. And I, I, I tweeted it out and people – got mad. Uh people did not like it. Um but in game 6, this game that like everyone's just every person on WIP or wherever you're talking, every you know person on Sixers Twitter is going to say like, "Oh, he folded like a tent in game 6 and game 7. He had 26 points, 10 rebounds and four blocks in game 6. He was one of the he had one of the best defensive series that I'd ever seen from a player in, in that series against Boston. And nobody cares. Nobody cares that he was that good on defense and that doesn't make up for anything that he lacked to do at the end of games on offense. And I get it. Like, I get the anger. I get the frustration. But don't group game six in with game seven, in my opinion. you, you Nobody else showed up to help him besides Maxi for pretty much two stretches of that game. Harden was terrible in that game. The Anthony Melton couldn't hit a wide-open three. Tobias Harris had two points in 42 minutes doc rivers refused to make any sorts of adjustments i i really don't think game six should be put on the one guy who definitely was our best player on the floor in that game not even close on both ends so i I struggle just to completely label him as an unabashed loser and instead i look at the rest of the organization and i look at all the other guys who didn't step up and I think everyone should be mad at everyone, but Joel, and they should be disappointed in Joel. I think Game Seven, if you're going to complain, complain about Game Seven, like yeah. the fourth quarter of Game Six. Yeah, he wasn't great. He was the only reason they were in the game was because he how, how he played for the first three and a half quarters. So it goes back to. Kind of the same arguments that I used to have about LeBron before LeBron won his first title, and people would talk about, "Oh, he stunk at the end of the games." And it's like, "Yeah, well, he had thirty-one, eight, and seven, and was the only reason they were there because he dominated for the first three and a half quarters." But people always struggle with that. It always comes down to clutch factors and stuff like that. So, and I get it. He lost. You know, we're all pissed. Like, I'm, I'm pissed. We're in the same spot we've been for a long time now, um, but that doesn't mean we should lose all context and nuance in the conversation.
0: I would say this about game six. Like, I think there is a fairly equal amount of blame to go around, and that includes Doc Rivers. Like, I rewatched the last five minutes of game six after I kind of watched my Nick Nurse film that I wanted to do to figure out how I thought they would be different offensively. And I watched Doc, like, not run any semblance or not even, like, try to call any semblance of an offensive structure. There was like no real attempt to reorganize things. It was basically just, all right, we're going to do the thing that we've always done in the regular, but the thing that worked in the regular season, when we got to play the Pistons four times and, you know, the the, the, the dog shit of the league, you know, a bunch of times. And in, in addition to the resume that we compiled against good teams, but, you know, it was the ISOs, it was the pick and rolls, it led to nothing. It was, you know, how do we attack the switch? We don't really have a way. There was no attempt to be, like unique or to get creative or to be unpredictable. And that was ultimately why I thought that they didn't get good shots, but still like De'Anthony, as you said, missed a bunch of wide open threes in that game or in that fourth quarter. Um, James was God awful. I do think the one thing I would say is like, Joel doesn't touch the ball very much in that last five minutes of the game. And whether you want to say like, it's, you know, like whether you want to say that the ball, you know, the, He didn't call for the ball. He didn't want to be a, you know, he wanted to put trust in his teammates and say like, this isn't just about me or they want to say that, you know, that that, that he didn't assert himself either way. I don't think it's a great representation of the MVP of the league. If you are not saying, get out of my way, this is my team. This is my, I'm going to ride this. I'm going to drive us home here. And he didn't do that. And so I think that does fall a little bit on him to not show that he has a desire to, take the game over. Not great. Um, but having said that, if you really want to point the blame at Joel, it is the absolute shit show that was game seven, where he absolutely crumbled into the things that uh, made him who he was the first two or three years of his career and the turnovers, the, you know, facing the basket, facing one way of the basket far too much and leaving yourself vulnerable on the blind side, too much dribbling, getting absolutely, uh, you know, embarrassed all over the court. Um, those were that was that was the you know, if you want to get mad at Joel that it's a game seven. I totally agree with you. But I do think like the comments that he made as a whole were completely blown out of proportion. It's mid July stuff. It's everyone's on edge because of the Harden situation. Um, and, you know, I think jo- what Joel is expressing, first of all, it's, it's this is not like it's a clear on the record ESPN interview. This is him at a movie at a film festival talking to you know maverick carter where you are maybe in an environment where you're not required where you're not prepared to think on your toes about how there could be a domino effect or a chain reaction to your comments so i I think people need to realize there is a human aspect to that but i also would say like this is the first time he's really ever in my experience put pressure on the franchise in the sense of like don't get too comfortable. Don't think I'm gonna be patient forever, because I won't win the title. If I can't do it here, maybe it's elsewhere. But don't take this for granted. And that was him saying I can change this whole the whole future of this franchise with, with you know on a moment's notice if I decide that I've had enough. So don't lose sight of that. And you need to nail this trade. And I thought that was a good thing. Uh, I thought that it can be interpreted, although I don't think he is. I, I don't think he's naive. I think he is very aware of what he's saying it can certainly be him saying look this is a business i know it's a business he said a thousand times that he wouldn't that he would understand that the sixers traded him for steph curry and clay thompson that is the way that daryl played it off in his interview with with anthony gargano the uh 97.5 the fanatic this week but joel knows what he's doing he's applying just the slightest bit of pressure that is the slightest bit the least bit you can apply as a star and have it still mean something is what joel did there
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I do think that there is probably some uh, some level of, you know, this is what I can do if I if I really want to. Um, But really, more than anything, I do think it was just like a casual slip. Like, I think that's something he'd say privately and it wouldn't be even commented on. Like, if he said that to any of his friends in the industry, they'd just be like, yeah, that's how the NBA goes. Like That's how it works. But if you say it in front of a microphone, it it sounds bad uh, and it changes uh, everything about the conversation. But, yeah, I I think most of what we have a problem with is kind of the morons on Twitter going at him. And it's like, well, if he wants to leave, then he should. uh, Like, I just, what are you doing? Like, we have to be better than this as a fan base where one little thing is just going to completely turn us against the guy like. It's it's so stupid, and you know it happens so often in this city. And I think that there's just a blatant, and we're gonna to get to the hardened stuff. I feel like it is wrapped in, like you said, um but I feel like there's just a complete blatant misunderstanding of everything around the Sixers yeah. when it comes to a large majority of the fan base.
0: I feel like people, you know, there's a lot of on Twitter like the. Oh, I can't stand the drama. Just end it already, you know. Rebuild or just get the hardened trade done. Like, I got news for you. Do teams that are 27, 55 have this kind of stress and pressure? Do teams that are forty-one and forty-one have these type of situations that, that are stressful? No. Stress is a privilege in sports. That means that you have expectations, and that there are that you feel like you there is a there is a goal that you can reach that is the pinnacle of your of your league that is the one championship so if that isn't if the stress is too much for you and i i think this is the way that that, that 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 teams would view it from from fans who are like this is too much like just do the trade get it done if they would they would say if this is too much stress for you discover it for the bulls who are you know who are yes. eight, eight seed in the east and you know who, who are in the middle of nowhere like this is a privilege to have this level of like You know, I don't want to say like disdain or contempt, but like this level of every day is like, oh, my God, what are they doing? You know, but I
1: I do think a lot of that is self-created, like I think it's created by the fan base and even in the most diehard of fan bases, like I think for a long time um, there was kind of the notion where like, oh, yeah, Boston, Philly, New York, like they're just brutal and they're all the same just in their own way. I think it's massively different now. Like, I just don't think these other cities tear down their teams in the the way we do. Like when they, when things go poorly for them, they still are defending those teams. Like Philly does not do that. Like when things go poorly, we jump off and like point and complain. Like it's never like, uh, hopefully they get back on track or, oh, I, I think this is just a blip in the road. Like it's never that mindset. Like, I just I think that there is, you know, I, maybe this is something that I've only really noticed since doing radio in Philly. And and obviously, I don't know if I would have said this five years ago, um, but I think that there's an extremely negative way that this fan base consumes the, the sports they watch. Um, and I think that it almost hurts the team negatively in, in some ways. And I talked about this on radio i I think that there's something to be said about the fact that a team like the denver nuggets was allowed to fail a, a few times in the playoffs get swept in the playoffs a few times and because they don't have a fan base demanding massive sweeping changes every time someone does something that they don't like they were able to keep continuity they were able to build this this kind of continuous roster around Jokic to fi- to tweak in the, the little guys and the rotation guys to figure out the best possible fits around a guy like Jokic whereas it feels like we have to reinvent what we're doing as a team every year because there's the new drama or there's a the new person that we want out of town or that we're running out of town or it just feels like there's a lot of privileges that come with being these teams that no one really cares about like and it comes with a lot of, there's also out national negativity. Like when the Sixers lose in the second round, it's going to be on every headline. It's going to be front page news. It's going to be, Oh, MVP loses, make a big deal about this. And part of that is because we make a big deal out of it. And we freak out and it's front page news for us. When the Denver nuggets got swept in the playoffs with the MVP you don't know, hear peep from anyone but Sixers fans who are complaining that Joel didn't win MVP. And there's something to be said about that. And I, I don't really even know what I'm getting at, but I do think part of it up. is
0: like I, I do think part of it is like um, they didn't have Jamal Murray, like he was out for two straight yeah. runs. So I think that is part of it. But you, you, I, I do think that there, without being able to prove it for sure, I think there is something to like the the general. For example, I wonder it sometimes if Tobias has a different perception of himself, then, you know, that maybe is, is fair or warranted. And I wonder how much of that, if so, is a result of the fact that like, he can't scroll through Twitter without there being like a million, very negative, nasty comments about him.
1: Yeah, no, I think that the negativity is uh, it's, it hurts the team. I, I do honestly believe that. And, you know, I think it's in all sports, but and it's truly a Phillies Sixers problem because the Eagles, you can freak out. You can be reactionary because there's 17 games. Each game is, a pretty large percentage of the season where, when you look at it, um, you know, like one football game is X amount of baseball games, like yeah. six or seven, five or six or whatever it is. Um, so I understand that, but we in Philadelphia treat baseball and basketball like it's a 17 game season, like it's the Eagles, like, you know, everything is live or die. And I do think that that's a negative.
0: Yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say about Joel is I do think that there is an element of You need to realize that you are the you were the MVP. That means that you have now graduated to a new level of criticism, a new level of expectation. And with that comes you have to be, you know, a a leader and say things with your chest. Don't, you know, backtrack them on Twitter because that was not a troll. That was a very honest, you know, comment that you made in in an interview. And that's fine. That is totally fine to say that. Don't then like play it off like you don't actually mean it online when people when people react to it um and you know that also means you know saying the right things and you know if if you're about winning then go win like go stand up in the biggest moments of your career and execute them and make you know and, and and have your legacy moments because right now you're 29 years old and you haven't been out of the second round of the playoffs yet And while I am not someone who really cares about the second round of the playoffs, like like, I, fans like second round exit, like who gives a shit, whether it's the conference finals or the, yeah, I agree. Like it's about winning a title at the end of the day. There's no, it it, it does not matter whether it's second round or not. It's a, it's, it's, it's a dumb way of viewing it. And I understand why, but it it got news for you, whether you lose second round or conference finals or finals, there's no, there's no banner unless there's no, you know, documentary about you there's no ba- there's no you know banner hanging in that arena if you don't win the
1: championship so why are we arguing about the second round of the playoffs it's either you win it or you don't win it i think making the finals is something like i think it's at yeah. least something um but yeah the conference finals and second round i've always said that i totally agree there um not to be like can we get to this other topic i i think i have a bit of a of a different view on the James Harden situation than pretty much anyone I've okay. seen uh, on Sixers Twitter. So I, I feel like I can't say much more about my thoughts on the off season without getting into that. Oh, yeah.
0: So I, I'll pick the next topic and that we'll go, we'll go to James because they are kind of, you know, inextricably linked. I, I think Joel has done a, a good job of trying to extend the olive branch, even though I don't think he and James have a bad relationship at all. I, I do think he's done a good job of trying to be like, I'm extending you this lifeline you know, and a way for you to avoid the embarrassment of not having the market that you wanted in free agency and, you know, and, and of this trade request, I'm, I'm giving you a way out of it if you'll take it. And he, you know, and James, you know, obviously the last two hours he posts on Instagram, the whole uh, I've been comfortable for way too long. It's time to get uncomfortable, which is just the most like 17 year old, and you know, sees someone at the dance who they invited, but they went with somebody else. Type type beat. <laughs> uh, you know, well, well, what have we come to? Where it's it's like where we're just waiting, we're just pacing and waiting for the next Instagram story to pop. Like like <laughs> that's what the world has come to. Um, I would say this about James. To me, from and the, I'll never be able to, to 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 get the truth about this. Uh, it seems to me that there James had an expectation. Coming into this offseason, coming into the last season, you know, into this free agency, that the Sixers did not back. They There was an expectation that they set for James and, you know, amount of trust that he had in them to honor that expectation. And when, it, when the chips were down, they did not honor that. And that is why they find themselves in this stalemate. And so, you know, I, I do kind of understand if he is frustrated and upset and feels like, he can't trust them i understand where he is coming from but at the same time for all the people who said that daryl was a james harden merchant or whatnot they ultimately did the right thing by not saying yeah we'll fork over four years 150 million
1: i disagree i disagree um i think that the situation we're in is a nightmare i don't see a way out of it like i don't see a way to get any sort of value for harden or flip it into things that you can Flip for value, like I, I love to my guy Dobbs, Mister Crockpot. But I'm seeing scenarios get pitched, and I'm like, that's not happening. <laughs> like, they're, like we're not getting these pieces, Zach Levine, for what we're getting from the Clippers. They don't even want to give up Terrence Mann. And by the way, the the positivity I'm seeing on Terrence man that dude's 27. He's never averaged more than 13 per 36. Like not even regularly. Yeah.
0: Like he's not the player that the Clippers think he is, and not the player that people who were like, "Give me Terrence Mann in the deal." He he is neither of those two guys. He is not that great. He's a fine he's player, seventh guy. He's a very fine role player that I think the Clippers are, have fallen in love with because they they milked themselves of every asset they had to get this had to get Kawhi and PG there and get the pieces around. That, that, that they had one really nice homegrown talent. They've kind of latched themselves onto that guy emotionally. But, yeah, I do not think he is anything that great.
1: Yeah, I I just – I think that Daryl – and I, by the way, like, I've been a Daryl defender as much as anyone in in terms of – in this fan base and in the media in Philadelphia. I – and I would defend every decision he's made up – to this off-season, like, I really, besides uh, trading for George Hill, that was,
0: should not,
1: should not <laughs> that, have traded Tony Bradley. That's the Bradley. only one
0: I can think of, that's the only one I can think of, really, that oh, I'm, like,
1: trade. There. on both ends, because Tony Bradley actually had good, off, I can't believe I'm doing this again, but Tony Bradley had good on-off numbers with Ben Simmons, which was rare for backup centers, and also, George Hill came in, and that completely made it so that Doc was like, oh, I'll play this 36-year-old over Tyrese Maxey, cool. And that was a terrible, okay. terrible thing for that team. Um, but, yeah, I, I hated that trade. Everything else, Daryl did a great job. But what I'll say is Daryl did a great job as long as you were fine with kind of taking the medicine on the James Harden thing. You backed yourself into a corner. Like, I don't see an avenue to getting a second, or even if you're saying Maxi takes a leap, which I think he probably will. But I don't see an avenue to getting a Harden, even close to a Harden-level guy. Um, And I think that you put yourself in a spot where you had to pay him. And I understand why they tried to get cute. Like, I understand there wasn't a market. I understand all of that. And that makes the people say, that makes the people who think that they shouldn't have paid Harden feel like, oh, there wasn't a market. See, I'm right. I was always saying all along, there was no one who should have been as interested in James Harden as the Sixers are. What he did for Joel in terms of the pick and roll and in terms of opening things up, I think was important and I think was massive. And I think you will see Joel's efficiency and numbers go slightly down. Even though he was pretty good in the games he missed, he was better in the games that he played. So um, I think Harden was huge for Embiid. I think that there's just – it really comes down to the alternative cost. Like I don't know what the alternative is that's going to make this team better. And honestly, if the answer is – we're going for 2024 and we're keeping our future flexibility and we're keeping this max space. My answer to that would be, this is the NBA brother. Joel Embiid's not going to be here. If you're taking a gap year, that's been my answer since before Joel's comments. And that's not me. Like, I think Joel should ask out if they're taking, if they're taking a gap year in the middle of this prime coming off of an MVP year. Like I I think he has every right to want to be out of here in my personal opinion. So um, I, I think that, The gap year idea was just never feasible to me. Um, I understand why it's sexy. I understand, like, the allure of it. But I, I just think that, you know, in my opinion, you have these next year, maybe two, to win with Joel Embiid. And you had to do everything you could to maximize your opportunity in the next year to two. Because if you don't and you don't win, Joel will not be here in three years if we don't win over the next two years with him on the team. And at that point, I don't care what James Harden's making for two years after that. We're going to be bad anyway. I don't care that we're paying him a bunch of money to be, you know, on a bad team. That's the way I look at it. I, I just looked at keeping him by any means necessary as the best potential outcome for the short term. And I just don't see a way around that.
0: I think it's a fair point. Um, you know, I think right now it is hard to say really where Joel is in terms of like, you know, would he ever request a trade? Because right now they're just trying to do the damage control of like, like oh, he was saying this, and he's going to be here forever. Like Ian Begley put out a piece yesterday where he, he reported that it was like they envisioned a Jeter esque, uh, you know, run in Philly, and I'm and I'm <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's that sounds great. Um, what that six but- rings? Well, yeah, well, you know, if, I will believe it when he's here, and you know, in in a year or two, and they continue to have these issues. Um, but you know, I, I I I do think that the Sixers tried to you know say like. We would love him back on a team-friendly deal. That is the messaging that I have heard throughout. Like they were, you know, they, they, they there was not an appetite, as Winhorst said, for a four-year max or a four-year deal. But if they were if he was willing to take a two-year deal, let's say, I, I, I could I I think that would have been more feasible for them. Um, but you know James Opson and of course now they control his destiny. I don't see any other team besides the Clippers giving up assets to get him because not only does he not want to be there but he also has all the background information that would leave any team skeptical of trading value for him. Um, I think the whole reason the Sixers have or decided that, that they were not in the business of paying James Harden what he wanted was because they had intel that there was somebody who was going to ask out that maybe we haven't thought of yet. But that I think is part of why they let the Ben Simmons sack go on, and that why they, you know, if if Halliburton, Alfer was ever there, like Daryl says, it wasn't in, in the interview the other day. You know, who knows? Uh, it, 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 I tend to think that the reason that that they let the Ben Simmons go Saturday go on as long as they did. Is because they felt like James was available if they waited long enough. Um, And so I I think that that is why they are in this spot now, because they feel like, Hey, if we wait long, if we wait, there's going to be this guy asking for a trade and we can pay him, we can give him, you know, he can, we can install him as part of our core. Um, You know, uh, they're telling anybody, anybody that Tyrese Maxey is not on, not available in trade talks and, you know, He's part he of the shouldn't ball. be. And, yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be available on trade talks. I do think just my gut feel is if Damian Lillard said, uh, you know, I'd be interested in going to Philly, I think then that would change the ballgame pretty dramatically for them in terms of how they view Tyrese. Um, but right now, I, I, everything you hear is he is part of our core. He is not available. Um, and so that's what they're building around for now. I, I would, I, I'm tempted to say, like, It's hard to see how they're going to maneuver this James situation. But then again, I've been one of the biggest, like, I doubted Daryl could pull off a Ben trade the way that he did, and then he did it. And, you know, he got – he maneuvered out of the Al Horford deal in a minute and turned the entire team around in in like an hour on draft night.
1: Yeah, it can't get lost. I feel like people just forget about that night. It cannot get lost how incredible of a GMing night that was from Daryl Morey. And it cannot get lost how bleak things were before we hired Daryl. Like I remember I did one of the, like when I first started podcasting back in the, in that era, the 2020 era, I did a podcast on like how to fix the Sixers. And we were talking about trading Joel. We were talking about trading Ben. Like we were throwing all these ideas off the wall. And I felt like the era was coming to a close, like in 2020, like, coming off that sweep in the bubble, I felt like it was over. And especially because I was so pessimistic about the Horford and and everything that went down with keeping his deal. And uh, I just felt like we were at a dead end and Daryl came in, like you said, got off the Horford money. He came in and he got Seth Curry for a, you know, a late pick, which obviously doesn't matter now, but that year it was a pretty efficient guy for us. And then also, obviously, I feel like this just doesn't get mentioned, he drafted Tyrese Maxey twenty first. Like you know how rare it is to get Tyrese Maxey at the twenty first pick of the draft or later. Like it, it's such a low percentage yeah. chance to get a guy. There are like a couple
0: things guy. where where people were like, people be like, you know, well the Sixers scouted Tyrese Maxey ahead of time.
1: Yeah,
0: and I'm like, I'm like, well, okay, but guess who makes the the scouts the, the scouts pitch, yeah. the, the, scouts pitch the pobo or the, or the GM on the. On, on the pick and that, and those got and the, the president of basketball operations ultimately is the one where the GM is the one who says, okay, let's do it. Like they're the ones that sign off on that stuff. And then, you know, the, the, they'll be like, uh, well, how about the Jalen McDaniels for Matisse liable trade? And I'm like, well, they netted out a second round pick. They got one back for that and they were never going to pay Matisse what he, what he wanted. And, you know, it, it, it like, it is what it is. You know, it, it, it was, it wasn't great that they didn't bring back McDaniels, but, they still got a pick back in the deal. And how about the signing of George Nanning, which was a diamond find with, 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 with that amount of money. The Andre Drummond signing was great yet.
1: Finding Paul Reed.
0: Yeah. You, you get, which, which, by the way, everyone was freaking out about that. First of all, I understand that he is not, like, the greatest player in the world. And, like, you know, he he, he is generally probably overrated by Sixers fans. Still, I do think that the Sixers, like, there was, there was validity to the – Level of outrage because number one you had his bird rights, and number two, like he is the only like good late second round pick they've had in years, and there is still upside there. Well, they did have Isaiah <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's another thing. You know, people get all up in arms like, "Well, he signed DeAndre Jordan. Why is he signing these washed up centers?" I'm like, well, part of being a general manager is that you have to find ways to, you know get things that you want done. And in order to do that, you have to sometimes do things that your coach wants. And who do you think wanted DeAndre Jordan? You think it was really yeah. Daryl Morey or was it Doc Rivers?
1: Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about when you bring up the Maxi point where it's like, obviously like it's his first decision as yeah. the president of basketball operations. You think he's not going to like make the pick based on what he thinks. Like you think he's not going to fire up YouTube at least to watch yeah. a couple, watch a couple <laughs> highlights. Yeah. Like, like, but even taking that out of it, it's not like Daryl stepped into this job off of a beach he was the GM like a week before he took our job. He was the GM of the Rockets, and he just came out like last week, where obviously I think this is another damage control Daryl thing, where he says it to sound like the smartest guy in the room and talk about the Cam Whitmore, or at least hint at the fact that he was really Cam I, Whitmore. I honestly, I would be very surprised if that was ever
0: actually a thing. Like I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, yeah. on that. I just don't go. I just don't know how you go from we couldn't <laughs> buy a we couldn't buy a second round pick, a late second round pick to. Oh yeah. We were trying to trade up to get the guy who was falling from the top of the lottery to now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, whatever on if it's true or not, but what I'll take away from it is like he said, we saw him play here in the city three or four times. Like that means Daryl is like, even in a year that we didn't have a pick, like Daryl's still scouting, like Daryl's still doing that type of stuff in case something comes up where a pick becomes, you know, part of a trade and like, Daryl does that stuff. There's no way he hadn't scouted Maxi for the Rockets. So I, I, I have tweeted about that before to give Daryl credit. And people are like he didn't pick him. He he admitted that it was the Sixers scouting. And it's like also that's what you do when you're the brand new president of basketball operations when you come in on your first press conference. You give the scouting department a lot of credit and you talk about how important they were and like that's, that's yeah. what you do. Like that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. And by the way. And I'm, and I'm not at all saying
0: this is the case, but you could argue if you're a skeptic or a cynic that, hey, maybe he wanted to bring in his own scouting people. So the way that he goes about doing that is saying, yeah, I'm going to give these guys credit for Tyrese being a great pick. So that way someone else hires them because the guy, because the head of the scouting who was out, who was hired a year later to go Oklahoma city. That's the thing that happens. Like, like with a podcast or what point was essentially like, you know, it's hard to say how great of an assistant coach this guy really is because you can make the case that, his, that his, you know, his former coaches are propping him up because they want him to take a new job so that way they can hire somebody else. You know, because sometimes there is, there is reason and, and, and motivation to propping up, an, a, a, you know, a colleague or another employee in the organization because that can help you
1: facilitate getting somebody else in if they take another job right yeah absolutely yeah and that's how it works and that's the stuff that people don't think about that's fine you, We don't have to think about it but i guess this kind of transfers nicely to the daryl yeah. conversation yeah. since we're already yeah. kind of talking about daryl yeah. i will say like I,
0: I i would i was saying this the other day to somebody it was i i said It'd be nice if they just signed a couple guys, like a couple core players, to yeah. like multi-year contracts. So this didn't have to be a two out of every year, every, out of every three year thing where there's like a high wire act. And I do think that like clearly Daryl likes the high wire act, the high leverage transacting <laughs> and living on the edge like that. And you know he is good at it to, to his credit, but like just let's get some stability in here, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, that's kind of what i was saying at the beginning of the offseason like people were mad at me because i wanted to pretty much run it back like i wanted to trade tobias like i definitely wanted to find a tobias trade i kind of understand that that's going to be a thing for the deadline like i do think that it's smart to keep tobias until the deadline when he's full expiring at that point um and there will be teams that know they're bad at that point so i i I get that part of it but i wanted to run it back to kind of keep some continuity and to be normal and to like pay Harden and make him happy and that'll make Joel happy. And I do think if you, if you gave Joel the option, like I think Joel probably would have just paid Harden to avoid all this nonsense and to avoid all this questions that he's going to have to answer. Like, I I think he would have just been like, just, just pay him. Like, I think that's probably what he would have just said, but yeah, I I don't know. And honestly, if he would have said that, they probably should have just done whatever he said to do. That's like another thing on it, no matter what way it's fun. And by the way, James has handled it horribly. And James has cost himself so much money over the last three years. Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo went went through it a couple weeks ago on just situation by situation. Like if he would have stayed in Houston, they would have given him like a five year super max just because he was like a god there at that point. And then in Brooklyn, they tried to give him a five year max, and he's like, "Kyrie's a weirdo. I don't know. Um, I, I don't blame him for asking out of Brooklyn. Like, I, don't, I don't. No, I don't. I don't blame him." Out of either place, really, to to be quite honest. But financially, just strictly from a financial standpoint, it was a terrible decision to ask out of both places that he's asked out from. Especially where he's at now, like and he cost himself how much money last year? Like fourteen million, probably to to take less money last year. Like it's, I mean, he's cost himself at least like one hundred and twenty million dollars over like a, a stretch of time that he can't really recoup.
0: Yeah, I will say that. I guess that's the last thing, then we'll move on to a different topic. But I, I think James has yet to really materially cost himself with this latest trade request, I, I would guess. But I don't know that it's a best practice to be like to, to 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 you know if if you show up to training camp and you're you know in the fat suit in your mid 30s when you've had injury concerns and you're off the court lifestyle was well documented, because if because you, you are an expiring deal, and if you don't, if, if you're gonna, you know, say I'm I'm not gonna play games and I'm gonna you know do this and do that, no one's gonna want to pay you more. <laughs> like like you are you're going your your tier of pay is gonna drop dramatically, uh, it, it you know, and so I I think his best bet. Right now, because he's an expiring deal in his in his, this stage of his career, if I'm his representation, I'm like, look, here's the reality. The reason that we're even in this spot is because your market never formed the way that you wanted it to form. And our best bet now is to just express that we want to trade, but also like be professional about it and show up and prove to people that you are worth trading for and that you can still impact winning at a high level. And that way you can get out of here. And if he's going to do the whole holdout bit and the whole, you know, uh, I'm injured or I have this or I have that and, you know, show up looking like he's out of shape. It's not going to inspire teams to be like, you know what, let's just fork over three years, 130 to this guy.
1: Yeah, no, I I don't really even know what happens. Like, uh, there's part of me that thinks Daryl did this because he didn't want to commit to Harden long-term and he thinks that, like, Harden doesn't really have an option if they force him to stay here. Like, I do think that's part of it. Like, I think there's part of Daryl that really thinks he can convince Harden to be fine with it and, like, maybe try to get him some Michael Rubin money under the table. I I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what Daryl thinks he can do to make it okay, Um, but... If you can get him to play on a one-year deal, I guess it is technically the best possible scenario for the team in terms of the short term and not hamstringing yourself in the future. Um, but I know you said that you think it, it was kind of Daryl, or that you heard obviously that it was Daryl and Elton leaning that way. I think there's a chance that, and this is the last thing I'll say on Harden because I do want to move on, but I, I think there's a chance that this is, you know, partially Josh Harris just bought the Washington Commanders. And owns the New Jersey Devils and doesn't want to sign up for a hundred fifty million dollar contract. So I hope all the people out there who celebrate my my buddy Trillbro dude and, and Kyoto and all the people out there who celebrated when Harden demanded a trade and opted in. Like, I, I hope you realize what we're getting into. Like I, I think this is gonna be a mess.
0: I wonder this. The only non player shift in the organization over the last year since Harden opted out and re-signed and then has since opted and requested a trade. The only non-player personnel shift is Nick Nurse. I wonder how much Nick Nurse, you know, if if at all, I don't know, but if at all was like, I just don't see how this is going to work. And you know, and rather than them saying, "Well, let's commit four years to James," and then like, you know, like, and then go through another issue a year or two down the line, so they said, "We just, we, 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 just can't see an area a way that this is going to work." And Nick's going to be here for multiple years. James might not even be here for two years, so let's just not even go about it at all. And I, don't, I don't, I don't know if that's the case again, but I'm still like, I, I do wonder because the only entity that is different from the last time that they signed James Harden is the, the head coach of the team, which is a pretty important position to change. Um, and, you know, I, I, think from the start, there were always questions about whether Nick nurse and James would gel because of James's tendency to eat up the shot clock. I'm going to isolate and Nick is much more fast paced and he wants to, you know, pick, pick, pick away at every little advantage he can. Um, but, you know, I, I do think the Josh Harris points a valid one. And I think, you know, I'll be curious to, you know, if we ever find out just how much Nick nurse's involvement in their decision-making was on that front.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the the Josh Harris thing ties back into the Jalen McDaniels thing. And I know that you're going to probably, I I think you have some other Intel that would say that it's not ownership-based, but they didn't want to go over the tax. Like I think that Matisse trade was a tax-based move in in part, at least. And I think not giving Jalen McDaniels $10 million over two years, like, I think that's absurd. Like, I, I, I think that's I, absurd.
0: I've kind of heard, like, conflicting information about McDaniels. Yeah. Like, on one hand, I I, I do know that, that McDaniels left the organization under the impression that he wouldn't get much playing time in Philly if he stayed, and that was kind of why. Which
1: and, is insane to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, he, he, it's, he seems like a Nick Nurse-type player, and then he goes to Nick Nurse's former
1: team, so <laughs> – he seems like a Nick nurse player, and you look at the roster, and it's like, yeah, he should get thirty minutes. Yeah. Like uh, we lost yeah. Niang, we lost him now. Like, yeah. I mean, and then and then crazy. I talked to
0: other people, and other people have said like uh, the the offer from the Sixers wasn't as close what wasn't as much as he got from Toronto, which was only either
1: annual, either or it's awful to me. Like either if, uh, door A, the Sixers are idiots. for thinking thinking that he isn't worth a rotation spot on the team. Look at your roster. And then B, door B, the Sixers are idiots for not offering him more money or at least saying, like, hey, if you get more money, we'll top that. Like, that should be how that is handled, and I guess it wasn't. I don't know if Jalen McDaniels, like, I'd I'd like to think that any NBA player who signs, like, a two-year, nine-and-a-half-million-dollar deal is going to have their agent call the team that they're on, like, currently coming from and saying, hey, this is what we got. By the way, that
0: they have his bird rights for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no way that Jalen and his agent didn't reach out to the Sixers and say, hey, we got offered this. Do you want to match it or top it? And we didn't. Like, that's just business practices. So that decision to not do that in that instant, I, I think, is horrible. I don't understand the opportunity cost of it at all. Um, and if it's going into the tax by one and a half million dollars and that's what you're afraid of, well, guess what? We're not going to be in the tax when Joel demands out. So well, I, I yeah. just, I, I, I don't know. think it's,
0: I don't think it was about tax as much as I think it was about like, look, we, you know, your, your market is this, we'd be given that we, given we what we think is going to be your role in this team, we would be willing to give you this. Um, and he was like, I'll just take, the, you know the more money elsewhere. Uh, you know, regarding to the whole tax thing, I do think it's fair up to a point where you have to look at like, the actual paper and be like, "Well, they are in the tax right now. Like, they they are over the tax threshold right now. Like it's, that 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 is factually a statement that they, they the signing Paul Reed put them over, and then they're five. Yeah, they're yeah, they're five center fiasco. Uh, <laughs> it also adds layers to that. Um, we have two topics left: summer league
1: or, or uh, free agency. We want to go to. I, I will say the summer league thing. I couldn't be less of a summer league guy at this point. Like it's so funny because I feel like summer league is so much bigger than it's ever been. Like and yeah. uh, Trill Withers was talking about it. He said like he go, he's been going for years and he went this year and felt like it was just an explosion. Like it was so much different and so much bigger. I'm sure Wendy ha- has a big thing to yeah. do with that. Scoot's a big deal too. Miller was a big prospect. So uh, I think that there's just a lot of big names playing, um, and I do think that. It's just become a cultural event. The more it's gotten bigger, the less I've given a shit about it. Like, I really gave a shit about the summer summerly eight years ago. Like, I guess I've just kind of moved to the point where I, I've kind of moved past that. Um, the Smith, though, I did have him 33rd on my big board this year. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, do like their Gravion
0: ESPN had him as their top guy undrafted in the six years, got him, and they had Ricky Council second as number or the fourth as, as number two, and they, they got
1: mm-hmm.
0: him I think Southern League is so hard to grade because, like, you, like yeah, they're playing with guys who are probably not going to be on teams. And, like, even, even it's looking at like shooting numbers. A lot of these guys don't know how to pass the ball and they don't know where to pat where their teammates like to catch the ball. So, their their shooting numbers are influenced by bad passing, right? Because they're, they're, they're catching the ball and not in their spots. And they'll grow into and theoretically, they should grow into shooters who are capable of shooting. Off of any inconvenient catching point, but at this stage of their lives, they aren't ready for that yet. And so, I think a lot of it is swayed by your teammates, and also just the pressure and the nerves of summer league. And as soon as you step on a real NBA court and have a good game, you kind of figure things out. But um, I will say this: uh, it wouldn't surprise—I wouldn't be surprised—based on what I've heard—if Terquavion Smith is like a a guy who is actually playing minutes for the Sixers this year.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely hope he is. It feels like there's definitely a need for him. Um, actually, I do. I lied. I have a summer league take. It's not about the Sixers, though. My summer league take is Jabari Smith is not good. Stop trying to make Jabari Smith happen. Um, I, I get that he made a buzzer beater, and then he had a, a two pretty good games. That dude can't do anything but shoot the basketball. And he was supposed to be a good defender. He's not. Uh, he can't dribble. He can't pass. You can't really attack the rim. I am out on Jabari Smith. The people trying to make him happen. He's like the fifth best asset the Rockets have. And I heard someone refer to him like as their franchise player moving forward. And I was like, I almost like dropped what I was holding. I was like, franchise player. Like he might be the worst player in the history of sports. To be described as a franchise player by anyone ever. Like I heard that statement and I, I just, I couldn't believe it. So I was I, actually,
0: I, I was actually a big Jabari Smith guy coming when he was coming out of school. <laughs> and I, I even told you, I thought he was, I, I told you specifically, I thought he was generational, and then your reaction I was like, "Oh, maybe I missed, maybe I missed shot." <laughs>
1: I'm I'm super negative, like I'm as negative as it comes on Jabari. Like, and it's kind of funny because a lot I I specifically Trill threw back my negativity on Jabari when I was so high on Brandon Miller this year. But I think Brandon Miller was like a next level defender in college. Um, who knows if he'll be that at the next level? But um, yeah, I, I'm just not I'm not a Jabari guy. My other summer league take would be everyone chill out on Brandon Miller. He's going to be fine. Guys that big who can score that well and can defend that well don't flame out. He'll be fine.
0: Yeah, all the Wembenyama takes. I'm like, I feel like, oh. you, so I feel like you're trying to be a dickhead when you have those. Terrible- <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like it's summer league. The kid has been running around the world ever since he ever, ever since the draft ended. Like, you don't get, you don't understand what he, how quickly his life has changed, and like how he, how much you know he's like moving around every day. Let let the kid be. A, you know, let let him have some space for a minute before we declare him a bust after one summer league game. So um, this is
1: kind of this kind of goes the other way of that, but I'm kind of a dickhead for what I'm about to say. Anything less than multiple MVPs and being the best player on a title team would be like disappointed for me for Wendy. That's really? how high my ex, that's how high my expectations are for Wendy. Like I truly think this guy's going to be generational. Oh no, like, no, no. I, I don't disagree. I th- I think
0: you kind of you and I are saying the same thing. Whereas like people were ready to declare him a bust after one game of summer league, I'm like,
1: oh yeah, that? I totally agree with that. But I was saying I almost go too far the other way, yeah. where I'm saying like I have such high expectations for him. Not right away, I don't really care what he does this year, but long term, like I just don't see with his skill set. The the thing I always go back to is that is that step back three that he then put back dunked on, like. Yeah. That's not that's not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's not allowed. What are we doing? Yeah. Like that's not that can't
0: yeah. happen. Uh, let's jump over to free agency. They have as of as of the latest estimates on Spo track, they have uh, they are almost seven million over the tax, less than hundred K below apron one, which means they they can't use the NTMLE at all. So they they have one roster spot left with ten and a half million below the second apron. Um what Are your free agency takes about the sixers? I honestly,
1: I love the Beverly signing, and I, 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 I've grown to like the Bomba signing. There's some draft takes that I nail, like Jabari Smith, and then there's other times where uh, there was a draft a few years ago where my one A was Luka Doncic and my one B was Mobamba. Um, I love Mobamba, I love them coming out. <laughs> <up. laughs> He's like my all-time worst draft take in either sport, I'd say. Um, I thought he was going to be nerland's Noel on defense and like Miles Turner on steroids on offense. Like I was <laughs> so all in on what Mobamba could be. The funny thing I'll say about Mobampa, if you look at Mobamba's per thirty-six minutes, he kind of is what I thought he was going to be. And if you look at his on-off numbers, he's always making the team better. But the funny thing is, I think he's had five coaches. He's fallen out of the rotation for each of them. (laughs) Every coach that I've played for hates this guy's guts. But if you look at the numbers, it's like, yeah, he's like a legitimate stretch guy. He's a legitimate shot blocker. His on-off numbers have been pretty good on both ends. Like, I I think he might be, like, better than we think. Like, I think there's a chance that he's a bit of a – a bit of a fine to in turn. And, and I don't know if they would actually fully move Paul Reed to being like a full-time forward and not even having him play the backup five minutes. But I, I was begging for Mo Bamba at the deadline last year when it looked like we weren't going to pay Reed. Um, and uh, the Beverly stuff is great. Shout out to Roan. Um, that podcast has become like a must, a must listen I, 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 now.
0: Tell you what he's like, he, Pat is a great guy from, what, from my first interaction with him. Like he seems like a really good dude. I like him a lot. Um, I, I, all of the noise you hear about Paul Reed is that they are serious about him playing the four this year. Um, I believe it. Yeah. And I, I mean, that, that I think, I think Nick nurse is going to experiment with Mo Bamba, Joel big lineups. Um, so, I mean, I like both signings. It wouldn't surprise me if they did use the, the tax mid-level that they have left on like, you know, any of the remaining guys that are wings, I, I have it in my mind. I don't. I, I don't have any intel to back this up, really. But I have it in my mind that the longer they wait, the more inevitable it feels like Kelly Oubre is going to be a sixer, because uh-huh. because Tobias's age, because Tobias's dad is his agent, and well, Tobias's agent is also, you know, his agent. And he because market clearly isn't there. He would be able to play a prominent role as a wing scorer off the bench he'd be able to basically rebuild market value if he, you know, for next off season, I think it could be a win-win for both sides. But what I
1: about, we back that up. So what about Rudy Gay hashtag? Yeah. Versus nayflow. I actually have always been, so forever. <laughs> I've, been, I've been very pro Rudy Gay forever.
0: I, I always thought he was going to figure it out and be an all-star. So I have a rooting. I have, I have a vested interest in him finding success somewhere. I would be, if, if you can get him on a minimum, I would say like, there's no downside to that.
1: Yeah, no, nah, I'm in. I'm in on Rudy really Gay. Why not? Yeah. Some veteran presence. You, uh, I'm in. Do you agree with them having to wait? Well, they,
0: they don't. They wouldn't say it this way, but do you agree with them having to wait out the Harden situation as a reason for? not really being active in free agency. But also they didn't, they also didn't have much money to spend to begin with like they were going to either be a, ta- a non a, a, a non-tax mid-level team or a tax mid-level team they didn't really they, they were not going to have a big pool of money to work with either way. It was either going to be you resign all your own free agents and then have yeah. your mid-level or you resign one or no, you know less than all the free agents and you still have your mid-level. So they should have kept at least
1: one of Shake or McDaniels. And I understand with bringing Pat Bev in that Shake Probably just isn't the role for him. Um, so I, I I do understand the shake one. Like I've said, I, I you just I don't understand not bringing McDaniel's back. I, Niang got a bag. You can't pay what Niang yeah. got from Cleveland. I forget what the number was, but it's it was three three
0: twenty six. He's that's going to be a big loss for them. That that big, yeah I agree. Not, they don't have any immediate way of filling.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. So that's why I would have liked to keep McDaniel's, and he's not the exact same as Niang. Obviously, he's a much different player. But you kind of lose some, you win some, and kind of the trade off there. The one thing I'll say, and this is kind of like my last take here, that I think Shake Milton's going to be so damn good in Minnesota. I <laughs> love the fit for Shake Milton with Anthony Edwards and being kind of off the ball a little bit. Be it, but maybe even playing a little point guard there. They don't have a real like point guard rotation, it's Mike Conley. And then that's kind of it there. So I would like to see him kind of in some lineups with, with Edwards, with Towns, with Gobert. Um, I I think that there's, I I think he's a really good fit there.
0: He will have been on both sides of the Embiid Towns tussle of 2019.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. And and by the way, he's so going to like have a stretch if like Conley gets hurt or if he breaks out and starts like starting, like he's totally going to have a stretch where he averages like 18 and eight. Or like eighteen and six for like a couple of weeks, and it's gonna be like we did it again. <laughs> like we let another guy walk. Like it's yeah. totally what's gonna to happen.
0: Yeah, Mark, where can they find you?
1: You can find me at Mark Henry Junior underscore. Um, I do the Tough Cover Radio Show every Saturday on Fox Sports The Gambler. Not this Saturday, so maybe not every Saturday, but first Saturday off in a year, and then after that, we're full steam ahead for football season. He is at Mark Henry Junior underscore. I'm Austin Krell,
0: NBA Krell on Twitter. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Stepping back and stroking to Logdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! Give it in. No double.